When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Goalie Ashwa Gummies. You can find them at goalie.com. Use promo code the Show Up That Foundation to get 10% off your order. Zendurance Active Wellness and Sports Nutrition. Their products are designed to maximize your health. At Zendurance, they strive to support and have a positive impact on the wellness of every hardworking dad. Use my code the Show Up Dad and get 10% off your next purchase. For more info, go to www.zendurance.com. Tall Man Equipment, standing taller than the rest of the competition in Lyman Tools since 1952. Give them a follow at www.tallmanequipment.com. And last but not least, Adam Lane Smith. He is an attachment specialist who helps people to heal, connect, and build. Use my promo code SHOW, spelled S-H-O-W, for a 50% discount on his attachment boot camp course. Thank you. All marriages, even the really good ones, need mending. The routine of jobs, kids, chores, and other commitments can overshadow romance and passion with any husband and wife. As a result, couples feel disillusioned or even alone. That is why we have created this marriage series, a platform for husbands and wives to come on and share what they do to be successful. Today, I'm joined with my beautiful wife, Jenny, to host our guests, Casey and Megan Caston, founders of Marriage 365. They believe nobody should settle for an average marriage. They have devoted their lives to providing resources that teach spouses how to heal, change, and become the healthiest persons they can be. Marriage 365 offers coaching, retreat books, marriage intensives for couples in crisis, but the most popular resource in their membership is their membership, which is the number one online streaming service for relationships. They have been married for almost 20 years and have two kids and live in Southern California. They love going to the beach, playing card games, and enjoying singing along to any musical soundtracks. Thank you for joining us on our show tonight, guys. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks, David and Jenny. Yeah. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you, guys. We saw you guys. We love your content. And we thought it was just an amazing uh, uh, repertoire to put into our arsenal for all the families that are listening to us. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So if you could kind of tell us a little bit how you guys um, came across developing Marriage 365, that would be great if you could tell a little bit of your backstory. I would love to say that we went to school to study marriage and relationships and we've had the best marriage for 20 years. And, you know, we just knew, uh, no, not at all. That was never in the plan. Um, we were actually college sweethearts. I met Casey the day I moved out of my parents' home at 18. Wow. Wow. uh, Yeah. There was something special about him. And, uh, we like to say it was lust at first sight. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, dating was really fun. It was easy, exciting. We had a really strong friendship when we were dating that we just had a lot of things we felt like we had in common. And so we went into marriage just thinking that love was going to be enough. Oh, and uh, once we said I do, it was not enough. No, 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 no. What what happened on our wedding night? <laughs> we're gonna go there yeah go there well, okay. not. Well, <laughs> go there <laughs> yeah now everyone wants to know yes you know i slept on the couch uh because i was throwing a, a midlife uh yeah, temper tantrum and mainly because i you know i made a decision that i wanted to wait until i was married to have sex and so our first round uh at it was uh not that long i think actually. it lasted like a minute yeah, maybe a maybe, minute and a half That's maybe okay yeah. maybe yeah. So around 2 a.m., I rolled her over because I was like, well, I think when we get married, we're going to have all the sex, right? The sex is just going to be like we're, we're setting our clock to it. So I roll Megan over and she gives me this like grumpy, like, give me, you know, get away from me. 
And I, I took it as rejection because basically I was channeling all of my hurts from my childhood. My mom's actually on her sixth marriage. So I grew up in all these different homes and chaos and abandonment wounds. And she touched all that. And literally from the day we got married, everything went downhill from there. And it was like a three-year sprint to the bottom with screaming, shoving matches, the words we used at each other. The the It was very, very temper-driven, anger-driven in the first couple of years. Yes. And may I just say that I don't even remember him waking me up at 2 a.m. Like, I'm one of those really heavy sleepers that doesn't wake up for anything. So... I'm thinking the morning of our, you know, new marriage, I'm like, oh, my husband. I'm like, where is my husband? Oh, he's on the couch having a temper tantrum. But yeah, I mean, we gave the silent treatment. We had resentment. We didn't know how to forgive. We didn't have communication tools. And so truly by year three, um, I, we, we both didn't like each other, but I really wanted a divorce. I'm thinking this, this isn't what I want. I'm not signing up for this. Mm-hmm. And so one of my really good friends said, Hey, Megan, that's a really big decision. Uh, you should probably go see someone before you just move forward with a divorce. Thankfully, that was really wise advice. And I did. And I sat down with a therapist and she said, Hey, listen, have you done everything and anything you can to save your marriage? So you don't live with regret. Mm -hmm. Cause she said, you know, most people who divorce live with regret Mm -hmm. and I don't want that to be you. And I sat there and I went, Oh, I know I have not done everything I can to do, you know, that I needed to do to, to help our marriage. And so that's really what I did for the next 13 months. She said, listen, if you want to make a better marriage, it starts by making a better you, your husband's not here on the couch, but you are, and I can teach you how to communicate and forgive and healthy boundaries and self-care and all those things. And so that's really what transformed our relationship was just me stop trying to control him and get him to do what I needed him to do. And I just kind of let go of a lot of those expectations and put all of the attention and focus on what I could control, which was myself. Mm-hmm. And 13 months later. Well, I saw Megan become a, a really, really healthy version of herself. And so when we would get into fights, she'd actually stop me and say, you know, I can tell that you're really upset. I want to talk to you when you are all calm and I'm going to step outside. And then when I come back, let's have a healthy conversation. And I was like, uh, uh, uh. because <laughs> where before that I would have like totally. yelled with him yeah. or given him the silent treatment. Like I was just as unhealthy as he was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I stopped that behavior. And when she stopped that, you know, I was left holding the bag, so to speak. I was the one that like, I had to look at myself in the mirror and go, Oh, now I'm the unhealthy spouse. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's a lot of couples out there that are, you know, maybe they feel like they're fighting for their marriage by themselves. And I think it's probably normal to feel like, well, I'm just going to give up because my spouse isn't participating with me. And I just want to spread the message of hope to say, don't give up because you actually do have an influence over your spouse by the way that you show up. You can model healthy relationship behavior. Mm-hmm. And that that did have an influence on me. Mm-hmm. And when I say like, you know, it is really, really strange to be here talking about marriage. Because when I think about our story, we are the least likely to succeed in marriage. Between mm-hmm. both sets of parents, there's 12 marriages. Wow. Wow. So we have, and there's affairs, there's mental health. We have toxic in-laws. We we buried ourselves into hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. We struggled to get pregnant. We struggled with infertility. Mm-hmm. And then once we did with our second, you know, he's on the special, um, special needs. So, I mean, it was like, there was, you know, bad fighting behavior, all the outside influence. Like we should have mm-hmm. completely been decimated. And yet I think there were some courageous decisions that helped us win. We mm-hmm. really didn't want to be honestly like our parents yeah, because they're mm-hmm. not really that happy. We wanted to break that cycle in our family and say, no, this, this can work. We, but we've got to work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. This isn't about changing you or making you into someone that I think you should be. This is two healthy people make a healthy marriage. Mm-hmm. And who do you have control over yourself? And so it was years of recovery and repair and healing and really 
you know, a lot of couples can't afford therapy, us included. I, I, you know, we, funny enough, we went to therapy today, but we can't afford ongoing therapy week after week. I mean, it's, you're, mm-hmm. you're talking tens, 20,000, $30,000 of what we needed to heal our marriage. And so that's actually kind of where marriage 365 came was what is a resource that we feel like we need for our own marriage? Wow. Something online, something that's affordable, something mm-hmm. that's convenient for people on the go with little kids who don't have a lot of time. And that's really where marriage 365 came from. And I was doing nonprofit events. I was, I wasn't like, you know, I, we weren't doing anything in you know the educational space. So when we looked at like relationship advice, mm-hmm. it's either like you go to, you could go to Cosmo, I guess, and get relationship <laughs> advice, but it's all pop psychology. It's, it's crap. Yeah. And what's left. It's like, therapists talking about their, you know, attachment of the mental health, like they're talking (laughs) way above my head where I'm like, I don't understand what that means. So if you can talk my language, and it was really hard to find that, that like lane where people were talking everyday talk about couples that are struggling from a couple that struggles and is willing to share their story. We couldn't find that. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I guess what happened was the more we shared really, really embarrassing stories, which by the way, I never, I remember saying like, no one's ever going to hear the story of our wedding night mm-hmm. ever. We were, why would I share that? that? <laughs> why would I share that? We were taking that to the grave. Right. Yeah. And then here we are sharing it well, publicly. But, but what happened was the more we shared that people came out of the, you know, like came up and out of the blue and would say, thank you for sharing that because I went through something similar, mm-hmm. but I thought I was the only one. Mm-hmm. And when you're struggling and you feel like you're the only one struggling with this issue, it can feel really hopeless. It can feel yeah. really lonely. And we're kind of like out there saying, Nope. Uh, if you, whatever you did, we probably did worse. So. <laughs> and that's what is so great about marriage platforms because it really takes couples that have been through like all the mud and gunk and stuff like that to come forth and have the courage to say, Hey, everybody else, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's other people that are going through it and we fought through it. And here's some of the tools that we used to finally start living the life that we wanted to live. Mm. Absolutely. That's what's so great about your platform. I thought it was interesting that you said that uh, two unhealthy people came together, right? Um, I once heard uh, Pastor Jimmy Evans talk about how health marries health, right? And uh, that's so true because I know when we got married, you know, we came in with the best intentions and stuff like that. But like you said, the outside pressures come in and it starts causing that tension and stuff like that. And it starts magnifying the problems that you have in your marriage. And that's where I think people, they don't know how to solve it. They've never seen this before. And it just makes them uncomfortable and they start hitting the exits, you know what I mean? Or or looking for excuses to get out of it instead of utilizing and saying, Hey, this is a warning light. This is something we need to work on. You know? Correct. Yeah. Our, our culture is very big on, well, that just means you married the wrong person, mm-hmm. except that, <laughs> I mean, if you marry someone else, they're going to have their own set of issues. So, so sure. They may not have what spouse one had, mm-hmm. but they're going to have their own. And I think that that's what we've seen. I mean, obviously Casey's mom being married six times, you would assume at this point, she'd realize she's the common denominator, but she doesn't think that she thinks she's marrying the wrong people. And so that also was modeled to us growing up. And we recognize, wow, well, what would that look like if you actually took it inward and you said, well, maybe like I should just be responsible for showing up and being the healthiest version of myself. And that's actually, you know, our mission statement at Marriage 365 is we want to help people become the healthiest versions of themselves. That's what we love to do. We wake up every day and get to do that for people all around the world. Yeah. And and it's interesting because when you're triggered by somebody else's behavior, it's not really the other person's behavior that's the problem. It's the wounding inside yourself that is the actual issue. But we automatically want to go into this place where we're labeling the other person as toxic because they triggered me. But really what it is, is it's just a mirror of the wounding inside of ourself, which I believe that God designed marriage in that space so that way we can search out healing Hmm. and marriage is actually supposed to be one of the safest places to learn about yourself and heal and grow 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So oh true. yeah. It reveals how selfish we are, right? Our pride, mm-hmm. our insecurities, our selfishness. But mm-hmm. the goal would be that you would make each other stronger, that you would challenge each other to let's overcome this together. But we live in such a blame culture where our first response is, well, it's their fault or I'm grumpy because of my boss. We never want to look inward and say, could it be something within me? Because we always say heart work is hard work, mm-hmm. right? So dealing with the things of the heart is just a lot of, it's, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. It's emotional. It can be overwhelming. And then if you don't have the tools, most people don't even know how to do it on their own. But this is why I love platforms like you guys, because you're exposing it and you're bringing it out and you're normalizing it, that these are okay things to be struggling with. We're, we're all on this journey of trying to be better than we were yesterday. Mm-hmm. I found too, like, just from my experience, um, it wasn't until I started taking responsibility and stopped that, that blame game. Right. Um, I know a lot of, uh, they say like narcissism is a big thing nowadays, right? We see it all over, you know, Instagram and everything like that. And, um, I think I had a lot of narcissistic traits, you know, so I didn't want to take responsibility. I wanted to blame her for the way everything was. Why wasn't the house clean? Why, you know, all these different things, you know what I mean? And, I think once you can be big enough to say, hey, man, I need to do the work like you guys did, it changes everything. It changes the whole atmosphere. I definitely thought the blame game was the best game. (laughs) Yeah, she did. (laughs) That's so funny. Here I am tired coming back from work. I'm going to be celebrated and no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but. And I, I think that couples, individual spouses, I think we all wake up and we just, we don't intentionally try to hurt each other. I think we're all doing the very best that we know how. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the culture that we live in, I call it the soup that we're all swimming in, Mm -hmm. does not give us the innate ability to know exactly how to communicate in a healthy way. In fact, if anything, it does the opposite. It gives us ways of escape. Mm-hmm. And I think probably one of the biggest issues that we deal with in marriage is, I'll just cover it with avoiding issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the way we avoid, the way we avoid issues, sorry, that was my watch. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted to say something about it. Um, <laughs> the way we avoid issues though, we're living in a generation now where we have so many escape pods mm-hmm. and that's everything from video games, weed, drinking. That's like a, a whole nother podcast we could go down. Mm-hmm. Um, social media, work, kids, like we have these things that we can escape and we're trying to do the best that we know how. And then we bump into an obstacle mm-hmm. and it's like, we don't know what to do next. So then we escape. So it's almost like married couples, they quit and stay. Mm -hmm. They quit working on their marriage, but they stay married. And that can be really confusing for spouses who are trying to figure out like, are you in or you out? Mm -hmm. Because you dated me, you pursued me when we were, before we got married. And then once we got married, all of that stopped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're pursuing other, you know, things, you're distracted by other things, uh, and, and now I am no longer a priority. Mm-hmm. And I would say that right there is probably one of the most common narratives that we hear when it comes to, to marriage, like mm-hmm. that you were once a priority and now you're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, man, I heard it said one time by a good mentor of mine. He said that how you catch a thing is how you keep a thing. And that is so true with marriage. You know what <laughs> I mean? We, we tend to get complacent after we won the pretty girl or whatever and we put it on auto cruise and we think we don't got to keep trying anymore yeah Yeah. and i had a a, a podcast earlier and one of the things that he was saying he's a he's a well-known influencer and one of the things he said he's like man i've helped gentlemen become better versions of the self through exercising working out and everything he's like oh what happens is the wives that are at home they're at home. They're taking care of it. They're 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 giving you the free time so you can go better yourself and everything like that. And they're not progressing themselves because you're out there doing this. So then the men that he was mentoring were coming home and saying, "Well, why did I marry you? You don't even take care of yourself and stuff like that." And he and he said on the podcast, he's like, "Man, 
He's like, I don't know how many marriages that I am a part of their divorce because of this. He So he had to reframe everything he did and put marriage as a priority. Wow. And that's how absolutely. important this is. Yeah, absolutely. We, we are just touching the surface in our society for mm-hmm. mental health, relational health, and emotional health. We're, we're just jump-starting it. You know, 50 mm-hmm. years ago, our parents, parents, right? They didn't talk about any of this. And so I think now we're just starting these conversations and I can't wait to see what's going to happen in culture in 20, 30, 40 years when people recognize, you know, if you're struggling relationally and emotionally, it will impact you physically. It will impact your health. It's going to impact your job. It's going to impact how you parent, how you show up for your, you know, show up for people in your life. And they, it all works together. You cannot silo one. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we're, we're starting to understand that. And of course you guys and us, we're, we're a part of that, of just trying to at least start the conversation, start giving people the tools and techniques to make their emotional, mental, and relational health a priority in their life. It, it is interesting because I, I think we do neglect our marriage to our own detriment, but once you do get marriage, right, all the, the, it's like a trickle down effect of all the things that work out. And that, that right there, you know, you would, you would assume people would understand that like, Hey, this is, mm-hmm. this is your priority. Mm-hmm. And I always think that, you know, like there's the two greatest commandments is to love God and to love others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, who's the first other on that list? <laughs> it's your spouse, <laughs> right? right? It's your spouse. And like, it's amazing how many people like, you know, they think they can get all these things in a row without, with, without having to deal with this, mm-hmm. without having to do, I'm pointing to the wife <laughs> and, and they think they, I can be, I can be a great parent and a crappy spouse. Mm-hmm. That's a common myth that I hear. And I'm like, no, 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 no your kids need to see you modeling because they don't listen to what we, we tell them to do. They listen, they, and they do what we show them. Yeah. I mean, I, I always say one of my girlfriends was saying this, she was like, I was teaching my kids, you know, uh, how to be kind and compassionate. And then she would turn around and she would, you know, complain and yell at her husband and not be compassionate with him. Mm -hmm. What a confusing message. So you're only compassionate and kind to some people, but you're not to dad or your husband. And so it's, it's just really interesting how people don't realize how much it impacts everything in their, their life. If you can get your marriage, right. If you can fight for your marriage. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. And I think that families don't really realize that everything starts in the home. Like it, we had a conversation just the other day. Uh, I had this realization about divorce and how um, hurtful it is, not only just to you as a child, if you're a child in a home that has been divorced, because my parents were divorced. Uh, my mom's had several marriages. Uh, my dad was a narcissist. It's crazy, crazy life to grow up in, but his family is still married. Um, they've been married, what, 50 years now, Your parents, long, long marriage. They've been through some very difficult things, but they stuck in there and, and held on. And I was just explaining to him how I saw such a contrast between the security in both our, in our lives. I don't have the type of security that he does in his life because his parents are still married. They're still together. So we always have a place to go to for the holidays, things like that. Like they kind of have this position of being adults because they rely on each other. Whereas my parents, and this is no disrespect to my parents. I love them dearly. They rely on me and my sister to put on holiday events and things like that. Like we've had to take that position that a parent would normally take mm-hmm. in our family. And uh, just the divorce is still affecting us even today mm-hmm. as adults, you know? And so I don't think that people really understand the impact of it. Your marriage is one of the most important decisions you can make. Mm-hmm. And it's not about like, I am marrying the wrong person And that's why we're having problems. Oh, we're having problems because you're just not the right person. No, your marriage is important. And so now you need to put all the work into your marriage to keep it that way, rather than it's just going to work out perfectly 
and I don't have to do anything because I married the right person. Yeah. And that's so true. I don't think people like play the tape forward when they when they decide to divorce and break their family apart is yeah. the long term, the long tail effect. You know, my parents divorced in 1984. Heck, Huey Lewis in the news was like the big <laughs> thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now yeah. that was like oldies. And it's 2023 and my kids still wear that experience, that disconnection because they were not courageous. They did not fight for their relationship. Mm-hmm. My kids, yeah, mm-hmm. 40 years later, get to experience that pain of divorce. And it that is something to be a cycle breaker is a huge deal. There's a lot that you have to fight to be a cycle breaker. Yeah. And that's definitely not to shame anybody that's ever had a divorce because sometimes we just don't know. Um, you know, we, we have so much pain, we've had so much trauma and, you know, everybody makes mistakes, they do things, but you can move forward from that and you can do better. And that's why we have incredible people like you come on our podcast. So that way we can learn how to have a better relationship. I know David and I, are still learning how to have a better relationship. We're having to put in the practice every single day. And we've been married almost 18 years now, you know? (laughs) Well, let me just, let me just say this to the people who are considering divorce or who have been divorced. We call it the four A's. I'm not sure if you guys have, are familiar with that, but if there's abuse affairs, addiction, or abandonment, that's usually a different kind of a conversation. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that those things can't be fixed or healed or redeemed. We have seen the worst of the worst come around. We do believe a fair recovery is possible. We've seen it firsthand in so many different couples' lives, but but it's not for everybody. I mean, you can't force your spouse to stop cheating. If your spouse mm-hmm. doesn't stop cheating, you do have a right to say, okay, I'm ending this marriage. Obviously, if your spouse is abusive, we would say you need to leave the marriage immediately. Now, that doesn't mean that you need a divorce. You could separate and see if they're willing to get help, right? Right. And so you just kind of go through the four A's. So abuse, affairs, addiction, and abandonment. And abandonment is really like emotional neglect. If you think about um, forms of child abuse, neglect is actually one of them. But when we're adults, it's not, which is odd to me. And so if you think about it, if your spouse isn't showing up emotionally, I mean, not just showing up because they're busy or whatnot, I'm talking about like, we've heard of people giving the silent treatment for four or five, six months Mm -hmm. where it's just, it's, it's, it's um, not unintentional. It is intentional. I am going to stonewall you and not talk to you and not let you touch me and not do X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's abandonment to the core of a human being. Then those are kinds of conversations where of course you can't have a marriage with those things. And so I I am glad, Jenny, you brought that up because I would never want anyone listening to think, gosh, well, something's wrong. Like I'm fighting for our marriage and my spouse though is abusive or my spouse won't stop cheating. Well, no, I mean, of course, in those situations, you know, we would want you to, of course, like seek marriage 365 or, or some kind of resource to help guide you through that process. But um, there is still so much that you can do. Mm -hmm. And, um, sometimes it, 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 divorce is an option, but we always say it should be the last option. Right. And I think what, um, to touch on what you're saying, if you are in one of those situations, what you really need to look for, uh, if you're planning on possibly working it out and staying is repentance, repentance from the offending party. Mm -hmm. If they're really willing, they're remorseful and they want to work on it and they're willing to create a safe space in the marriage, because that's what marriage should be is safe. Then, that me that's that's a good flag that you you know a green flag that you can possibly start dipping your toe in the recovery work in your marriage absolutely that's beautiful yeah you want to see remorse and a change in heart and behavior yes definitely i know when we're going through a rough patch in our marriage um i went to a good friend of mine a mentor and one of the things he told me is like i was like oh man i, I don't know I, I think i want a divorce and he mm. turned eyes like oh are you ready for someone else to raise your kids? Ugh. And That's it a... struck me. It struck me. And yep. I told him, no, I'm not. He's like, then you're not ready for divorce. Like, you get put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. Blended families, you know, they're, they can be beautiful and redeeming, but they are, they say, um, we have a ton of courses, by the way, in videos in our membership mm-hmm. about blended families from a blended family expert. And he said that if you think marriage is like, you know, a lot of work. He says, times that by a hundred. Wait, 
scratch that. He says, times that by a thousand. That's how much more work as a blended family. Just know and be aware because you have so many now outside circumstances that are actually out of your control. So if your ex-wife marries a crazy husband, there is nothing you can do about it. You have no legal say. And that's going to influence your children. That's going to impact your holidays. That's mm-hmm. going to influence your finances, right? So all of those things, we just think, oh, right now it's just, it's I can't stand my spouse, but you do need to play out the tapes in the future and what that would look like and 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 really ask yourself, have I done everything and anything I can to save my marriage so mm-hmm. I don't live with regret? And usually the answer is no. Most people have not done everything and anything. Yeah. I want to go ahead and switch gears here. I sat in on one of your lives um, this last week And I just wanted to bring up the topic of boundaries. What are some of the boundaries that we can have that just really protect our marriage, not only from outside sources, but also um, help spouses? Because even us as as spouses need to have boundaries with our spouse to have a healthy marriage. What are some boundaries that we can put in place if you you aren't great at boundaries? I know I wasn't great at boundaries um, that are really helpful for a healthy marriage. I'll let Megan take that question, but before you even get down this rabbit hole, I I have to say that I think that so many couples do not establish boundaries or rules Mm -hmm. of engagement until they're broken. Mm -hmm. And then one spouse is freaking out because you crossed a boundary that was never spoken of. Mm -hmm. It was assumed. They were assumed. Did you know? (laughs) You're like, no, you never said anything. I think it's really interesting how many couples assume boundaries and assume that that someone's going to respect their boundary, but then never communicate it. And I always feel like there's this picture, you know, we go out onto this like, um, you know, field and I toss you the ball and I go, okay, let's go. And the first thing you're going to say is, wait, 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 hold on. What are we playing? Because, and the reason why we ask that question is because we need to know, well, what are the rules? How do I know who's going to win? What are the boundaries if you're out of bounds? Like, how do we keep score? What's a foul? Like, mm-hmm. we need to understand. And I and I think when we come to relationships, we don't want to be restrictive. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about boundaries. And this goes to just the soup that we are all swimming in is that we just, we throw a lot of assumptions and we just hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And you can't do relationships that way. You can't just rely on hope as a strategy to to have to build love to last a lifetime you got to have a game plan otherwise you will fail right if you fail to plan then plan on failing mm-hmm. so we have to have these intentional conversations and again i just don't think that we have a culture i don't i don't hear our politicians or uh hollywood, hollywood talking about hey guys let's have a healthy conversation about boundaries nope But boundaries are about prioritizing and protecting. So just remember those two words. It's one of my favorite topics. So I'm so glad you asked this. Every couple. I give you a lot of practice. I know. I know. (laughs) I just, I love this conversation because you know what I love is when I'm coaching someone and I teach them about boundaries and I give them examples, they implement them. And I see that light bulb moment, like, whoa, that worked. And I'm like, yes, it worked. And they're like, I feel so empowered because again, they're about prioritizing and protecting. So the first thing is every couple should have a conversation about the opposite sex. It Mm -hmm. cannot be assumed. I do not want to hear, well, of course we're not going to cheat. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Um, Opposite sex. Are you allowed to follow exes on social media? Are you allowed to go to lunch with someone of the opposite sex that you work with? What about for people who travel? Are you allowed to go to dinner with people of the opposite sex in a group, one-on-one? These things cannot be assumed. Mm-hmm. And you just need to have those conversations. And of course, if people, you know, have questions, we have a whole video about what are the what are the specific boundaries that we have in our marriage mm-hmm. with the opposite mm-hmm. sex? And, and then we give questions for couples to ask so that they can come up with their own rules. Mm-hmm. We know a lot of people where it's not a big deal that they go to lunch with someone with the opposite sex because they have high trust levels. And then we know other couples who are like, absolutely not. It's a hard no, even though we have high trust levels. So opposite sex is a must. And I just don't want anyone to make it vague, be the more clear, the better, the more specific. And I always say, write it down, write it down. So then you're not like, Oh, what did you say? I don't remember. Just write it down somewhere in a notebook. Um, another thing, another area of a boundary, tech, technology, 
texting, mm-hmm. passwords, social media, emails. I hate to say it, but you know, I, I love technology and I also hate technology, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a lot to manage. And I, I don't know if you guys have kids, but we have yeah. teens and it's just like a full-time job. I feel like managing their technology and what's going on in their world and checking our daughter's text messages. And anyways, all that to say, I feel like if couples were actually able to sit down and say, what are tech boundaries? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a common issue we hear with um, husbands and wives is men following like half-naked chicks on Instagram mm-hmm. um, or messaging people on Snapchat. And it's crossing a boundary for most women. I mean, I would say 99.9% of women don't want their husbands doing that. So don't assume, but go and say, Hey, let's not follow any account that we are going to hide from each other or that we feel like we couldn't openly share. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think tech boundaries with time. Hey, what about Tuesdays and Thursday nights after 6 PM, we turn off all tech, no TV, no iPads, no phones, and let's just play a game or have sex or take a walk. But so not just tech boundaries with passwords, but actually technology, like the amount of you spend time with because people are addicted to tech, right? Yes. 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 Um, okay. This is another area sharing about your marriage problems with outside people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who are we allowed to share with? And here's what I would say. It's gotta be someone safe. Mm-hmm. And ideally it's not someone in your family. Yes. Mm. Because we've heard and experienced in our own marriage Even if your family has the best intentions, families tend to unfortunately gossip Mm -hmm. and families tend to judge Mm -hmm. and families tend to side with one person more than another. So if you can have a therapist, a best friend, um, David, I know you've mentioned mentors. Those are amazing. Someone maybe at your church community, a pastor, a priest, but find someone safe if you're struggling in your marriage Mm -hmm. and do not assume again that, oh, well, he's just going to go talk to his dad. You want to agree and say, who are the people that we are not going to share our marriage problems with? Mm-hmm. And then who are the people that we both can say, you know what, that's okay to share our mar- marriage problems with. This mm-hmm. is this has become a massive issue in families and yeah. we continue to see it. Yeah. I'd probably say a huge area that we've been encountering more and more is alcohol. Mm-hmm. Like... I'd probably say if we get a hundred DMs, babe, what do you think? 40, 40 of them are about alcohol yeah, boundaries. Almost half. And I, I think that, you know, there's a, we live in an alcohol field culture from, there's never any, any time that's not a great excuse to go drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone's getting married. Hey, let's have a drink. Mm-hmm. Someone died. Let's have a drink. Right. It's I mean, just it's, like, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, let's yeah, have a drink. Yeah. It's yeah. good. And I think that a lot of spouses do feel very uncomfortable with their spouse's choice on how much to have. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those ways that we stay and quit. <laughs> like we're going to stay married, but I'm going to quit working on my marriage and I'm just going to check out and I'm out with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And there has to be boundaries. And it, there again, people see them as restrictive. Like you're just trying to tell me what to do, but they're, they're prioritizing and protecting your marriage. Yeah. They're protecting your marriage because one spouse is is feeling uncomfortable, and when one spouse is not feeling comfortable, we, that's our that's our like pause. Okay, let's check in. Why is this person feeling uncomfortable? Well, and in regards to alcohol, of course, uh, infidelity, one night stands. Uh, we call it the truth serum. Certain things are said that can't be taken back because it was so hurtful. Boundaries again were crossed. Uh, things were done. People drive drunk. I mean, all of those things. Like we do really bad things when we drink because we're not sober, right? right. We're not sober right. minded, and it's impacting our decision making and our empathy is gone and our listening skills are gone when we drink. But okay, last but not least, one more boundary. I mean, we <laughs> should do a whole nother episode, you guys, just on boundaries. But <laughs> I think I think that when it comes to just how you speak to each other. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, Casey and I have a really hard boundary that we deserve respect. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a bad mood, if you're being really critical, if you're yelling or screaming, all the things we have been guilty of in our marriage in the past, okay? I'm not saying that we're perfect here. But if you are starting to see behavior that is impacting that safety, Jenny, that you've brought up multiple times, which I agree, emotional safety leads to emotional intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. Emotional intimacy then leads to physical intimacy. That's where I come in. 
Yeah. <laughs> we want to create that safe place in our marriage. The minute somebody is cussing, judging, yelling, throwing things, it is a hard boundary. You stop what you're doing and you take a break mm-hmm. because the blood is now not in your prefrontal cortex, which is where all of your empathy, listening skills, all of that is gone, right? And you've heard mm-hmm. fight or flight. Then you become in that fight or flight mode. And we nothing ever good comes from a couple who doesn't put up that boundary to say, wait, wait, hold on. We're, we're, we're going down a bad trail right now. Mm-hmm. You stop it and you take that 20 minute break. You kind of let yourself, you know, the blood flow back to your brain and okay, I prayed, I, I did yoga. I took a bath. I took a walk. Okay. Now I'm good. And then come back to the, the conversation. So we don't even allow ourselves to get to that point. And that's a hard boundary we have. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I, oh, go ahead. I, I always thought like as a person that did not have good boundaries and was definitely very codependent and placated to my husband all the time. I always thought that boundaries were very controlling and I didn't want to be like this controlling spouse. And I love that Casey, you keep bringing that up because it's not, it's not controlling to tell your spouse you know what, when you're doing this, it hurts me. It's not controlling to say, I want tacos tonight, not lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just being true to who you are. You're not uh, betraying yourself or abandoning yourself. And then you don't become resentful when you can uphold these boundaries. And I truly believe boundaries are one of the key things to living the life that you want and having the marriage that you want. Absolutely. And if you are making boundaries out of fear or control or manipulation, and that's when you have to do a heart check and go, Oh, I'm not coming from a good place. There's Mm -hmm. probably some, some resentment and, and broken trust. Uh, But again, it goes back to, if you're making them because you're saying, I want to prioritize and protect our marriage. I don't want anything to get in the way of us and what we have vowed. And in fact, I look at it as you're fighting to protect your marriage by saying we are not going to follow naked people on Instagram like that. What good can come from that for our marriage? Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like for Casey and I, people always ask about pass passwords, you know, I think it's up to the couple again. I mean, there's some certain things I have your password for, and there's other things I don't, but here's the thing. If I were to go to Casey right now and say, Hey, let me see your phone. I need to see it. If he has nothing to hide, he's going to hand over his phone and he's gonna go, here you go. And we've done that before. Not because we weren't trusting. It was like, Oh, let me see something on your phone. And so the thing is with boundaries, if you get defensive, if you start to go, well, we don't need boundaries. It makes you look guilty. It makes you look like you're hiding something. And so just kind of be aware of that. If your spouse approaches you with boundaries and you get defensive, it's going to make you look guilty. I'm glad that you brought that up because I I know that's been a major conversation lately um, between privacy and secrets. Some people are like saying, Hey, I need my privacy. And is it okay for our spouse to check out our phone? And they're like, no, you know, you know, you're hiding secrets and whatever, you know what I mean? So I'm glad that you, you brought that up because it's a big deal right now. Well, I hear like all these psychologists and therapists and things like that saying that a spouse doesn't have, they shouldn't be looking in your phone because every person deserves their own privacy. And if you've married somebody that you can't trust, you know, then you shouldn't be with that person. But it's so not that simple at all. You, If you're already married to a person and things have happened, people change over time. Sometimes people get very stressed and do, you know, pick up behaviors that are very, you know, they're trying to cope, cope exactly with, thank you so much for being my brain. <laughs> they're trying to cope and deal with things and they fall into bad behaviors you need your spouse to hold you accountable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I would say in the topic of pornography, this is typically what we see uh, where wife's really wanting sex. Husband doesn't sounds off. He used to want sex all the time, somehow gets access to the phone or the, the computer and sees pornography. Right. And that's the, the secret. And then it's like, oh, that's why he hasn't initiated sex or wanted sex in two, three, four or five months. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think that there's a, I mean, I think that there's a balance. I don't know ever. I'm going to be honest. I don't know everything on Casey's phone and he doesn't know everything on my phone, but if he were to ever grab my phone, he can look at whatever he wants. Cause I have nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. Except maybe you don't know this, but I kind of want another dog. 
<laughs> I've been researching. So I've been researching puppies. I'm sorry. I'm coming clean right now. It, it must be in the air because she's doing the same thing. Oh it's That's the only secret I have, babe. I kind of really want another dog. I don't know. I want a sauna. And you want a sauna, though. You just uh -huh. you didn't finally tell me and, and open up today that you want a sauna. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> My husband has a an arm wrestling spending habit. No, just kidding. Oh. <laughs> Secrets out, David. Yep. No. Hey, man, it's uh, it, it keeps me healthy. <laughs> no, no, but that's all in fun. Honestly, David and I, uh, we share everything. Uh, and when he has women reach out to him on the platform, he usually sends them my way. Mm -hmm. uh if they you know and and things like that just because we want to keep it in a healthy situation we do know that sometimes people are really hurting and you know they want to be seen and stuff like that and sometimes uh people don't realize that they might be craving an attention from the opposite sex in their pain mm -hmm. and so we're always really careful around those those areas uh you know or or he'll be in a conversation with me mm -hmm. or something like that just to to keep our ministry safe and the people that we're ministering to make sure that they feel comfortable and know that you know we really have their best interests absolutely so that yeah. those are some of our boundaries that we we do he definitely can take my phone to work if he wanted to mm -hmm. and, and vice versa which is great but I do think that there is a, a difference between, you know, privacy and secrets. Yes. Yeah. It's you know? the heart. It's the motive behind it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you guys, how do you see couples falling out of love with each other? Hmm. Yeah. I would say, uh, I'm going to go back to avoiding issues. Okay. I think, um, we used to say busyness is the killer of marriage. Mm -hmm. But I think actually that's a symptom of avoiding issues. And that usually typically stems from a lack of knowledge of you just, I, I'm trying, I'm waking up, I'm doing the best I know how it's not working. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, I, I need some help, mm -hmm. I, I just need, an, I need some tools is we'd rather, we'd rather not try than to try and fail. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's what happens is, is those, there's these moments where I could turn towards Megan and embrace her. But if I don't feel safe with her, she's shared a critical word or judgment, or there's, there's a hurt between us mm -hmm. is in that moment, I choose not to engage her. I choose to pull back. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's these like micro moments that happen along a relationship where it's, it's almost like that 1% off where we just, we start and we're just the, that 1% time where we just choose not to be together and we start moving to slowly growing apart and yeah. it doesn't happen right away. It's not like we get married and we're like, this is amazing. I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is amazing. And then 10 years later, the, yeah. you know, there's not the pursuit like you were talking about, David, where. The thing that, you know, one, you, that the thing that you did to win her, you're not doing anymore. Like you slowly, like, you know, most marriages, they, they don't die because of fire. They die because of ice. They really just iced over. And, you know, when we hear this, we hear this in the words like this, mm -hmm. you know what? We just slowly drifted apart. Mm -hmm. You know what? We fell out of love. Wow. And that right there, if you hear that, what you need to reframe was I failed to do what it takes to make love to last a lifetime. Mm. Because if you fell out of love, that means you neglected to do the work of marriage. And again, sorry if that that's not shaming, no, no. <laughs> but what I, it is hard truth that people need to hear and hopefully are convicted to say, crap, I'm falling out of love. That means that's not because I'm just, it's like, there's a choice to not do something mm -hmm. and we have to activate, actively be cultivating our relationship. So I always, always say that easiest thing to do in relationships is actually do nothing at all, but that's a choice that we make. Mm -hmm. That's a conscious choice we make to do nothing at all. And 
I always felt like the analogy is like this, you know, this, it's this escalator that's going down mm-hmm. and, and to work in your marriages, you're kind of slowly going, you know, you're walking up the escalator and yeah, certainly feels like we're walking up and we're doing what it takes and we're kind of staying in the same spot. Right. Mm-hmm. But once we stop doing things in our relationship, the escalator's still going down. And slowly and but surely, that's that's where the es- we find ourselves at the bottom of the escalator. Going, how in the world do I get to the top? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that we've been seeing kind of a lot in couples is that one person is just no longer attracted to the other person, mm-hmm. and they don't know how to move forward at that point. But I I feel like there has to be something that they're looking at that is causing them their gaze to not be upon their spouse anymore. Well, let me also say that I think we as a dating culture are dating for the wrong reasons. We focus Mm -hmm. primarily about sex and love and romance and passion. And while those things are amazing gifts to a marriage, they Mm -hmm. are not what sustain a marriage. You have to have a friendship, shared values, respect, empathy, listening, communication, right? Like you have to have so many other things And so, you know, they say like beauty is in the eye of the the beholder. If your spouse is an amazing person, like they're friendly and thoughtful and kind and loving, it honestly, studies have shown it doesn't even matter what your spouse looks like. Usually people are really attracted to that person because they're just a good person, right? Versus someone who could be like the most beautiful person in the world, but if they're horrible Mm -hmm. and they're mean and they gossip and they're judgmental and selfish, like they they don't look very attractive after a while, right? So- I I think that sometimes people say that it makes them sound horrible. I mean, kudos yeah. to someone who could actually say that out loud. Like I'm not physically attracted. I don't know why they're, I, that always bothers me personally. Cause yeah. I'm like, what were they hoping to achieve when they said that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, aging is part of, <laughs> Casey and yeah. I met when I was 18. I do not look, I mean, I've had two children, you know, I'm turning 40 this year. So I've, been, I've been married to him half of my life this year. Isn't that crazy? Like, and I'm still like, I still feel like I'm young, but I don't look like I was when I was 18 because I was a teenager. But yeah. that's part of growing old together is the wrinkles and the wisdom that comes with those wrinkles and the saggy skin and all those things. And so I do feel like part of that is we've put such an emphasis in our, in our culture of the physical attraction and the sex. Which is so interesting because studies show that in affairs, people go, gravitate to a, an affair partner because of the way that they made them feel about themselves. Yep. It's not, not about that. the way that they look, which is yep. very interesting. And yet here our culture is like all of the commercials, all of the Instagram, social media, it is totally flooding us with you need to look perfect you need to go get the newest plastic surgery and have all this work done and you can't age naturally and if you're 50 years old and you look like you're 50 that's not okay you need to be looking like you're 25 (laughs) and you know what fuels that as well as pornography I mean they Every study has shown that if you are viewing pornography on a regular basis, you go into the bedroom, by the way, men more than women start to feel insecure. Well, my penis isn't that big and I can't last that long. And I don't look like that guy. You start to compare. You're just going to naturally do that. And I think the same thing again with social media, we just naturally compare ourselves to other people. And so that's only fueling more insecurities. And then of course our brain is our largest sex organ. So then when we show up in the bedroom, we're already so insecure. We're like, Oh, I don't, I can't perform that way. I can't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Wow. I never thought of the brain as being like a sex organ, but now that you say it, yeah, it is so true, especially mm-hmm. for men, men are so visual. And I mean, we just gravitate to, I mean, it, it can just, you know, whatever you look at really can, you know, light the fire. <laughs> Absolutely. And especially the way the algorithm run. I mean, um, I know guys who tell me, man, this is my feed. Look at this. I don't want to look at this, but it's keeps. And I'm like, okay, well, what happened is the algorithms, you know, you stopped, it caught your attention for that time. Now you're being plugged in and now, now it's bombarding you. I was like, oh, so you need to start. I was like, oh, one of the things I would do, I told him is start looking at something that you're interested in and start liking those. I was like, it'll change your algorithm again. Then you won't be, be bombarded with these uh, scantily clad women. 
You know, something as simple as that, you know, it's funny because it's almost the algorithm of the brain too. Cause whatever we entertain in our minds is what we gravitate towards. That's why it's really important that we protect our mind, especially with porn being a fantasy. It's not reality. So mm-hmm. your partner can never live up to those, those images and stuff like that. And that's just, I mean, whether it's a religious, you know, impulse or not, it's just science. Yeah. Porn rewires our brain in a way that is not helpful for healthy, emotionally safe relationships. It's just mm-hmm. not, there's no, there's no way you can refute that. Right. I I completely agree. And the science is there. Our brain has mirror neurons. So whatever you see, your brain literally thinks that it's like happening in real time because your brain can't tell the difference between what the images are on the screen as opposed to what's happening in real life. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking on things, uh, your brain doesn't know the difference. Is this reality? Is it not reality? And I know this to be true because I I don't know if you guys know a lot about our story, but I was diagnosed with a chronic illness. I had Lyme disease, mold uh, illness, mold toxicity, four different molds. I had Bartonella. I had, uh, I mean, all kinds of mosquito illnesses, everything. I became very, very sick and I could not eat food anymore. Wow. I only had like 20 foods that I was able to eat and survive off of. And this went on and it was the the list was getting a lot smaller and I couldn't take the medication to make me feel better, to get me better. But what happened is that my brain became so traumatized. It started deciding that everything was a problem. And the way that I healed it was just by triggering the trauma and then thinking on good memories of when Mm. I could eat healthy and then visualizing myself eating those things in the future and eventually I can eat everything now you know so it really does matter what you think about the brain is so powerful right isn't that crazy how powerful our brain is just that simple act of visualizing I mean think about we can visualize the bad stuff we can Mm -hmm. talk about porn right but we can also visualize the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Even walking into our marriage, walking into our home, if we have a toxic relationship, I think there's a very valuable exercise of being able to visualize our spouse. If our spouse is being critical, our spouse being critical, but us remaining calm and not mm-hmm. triggered. Yeah. yeah, That is huge. It's yeah. so huge. And let me tell you, it only took me an hour a day, but we're in our heads all the time Mm -hmm. everything in our reality is really actually in our head yeah i mean your thoughts are just they're framing your world so that's why we always say with your spouse before you jump to the worst conclusion say hmm i wonder if they're not even intentionally hurting me like Mm. what if you just started with that thought like i wonder if they didn't even mean to do that because guess what they probably didn't mean to hurt you Right. So it's most of our hurts in marriage are unintentional, not intentional. So even just rewiring your brain for that, you know, and so much part of like forgiveness and healing is all in the brain. It's yeah. not you're feeling it because you're not going to feel like to forgive your spouse when they hurt you. It's mm-hmm. all a choice that you have to make every single day to say, I am going to let go of this pain. I am not going to allow it to take up space mm-hmm. in my head and in my heart anymore. And I'm going to choose to let that go. It is, it's a choice you make in your brain. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, definitely. It all starts in the brain. Um, there's a scripture, Proverbs 29, 18, that says where there is no vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. So what are you focusing on? Wow. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, thank you guys so much for all your information. How can people get a hold of your guys's program, all the things that you have to offer to married couples? Well, you can Google Marriage 365 and we're pretty much on all the social media platforms, or you can visit our website at marriage365.com. And our membership is just an incredible alternative to getting help for your marriage. There's so many practical tools under one paid account. You get two spouses. We have an app. We add new content every single month. It is our most popular resource. So it's just a really affordable way. And what I, and of course, because I know we talked about this, if you want to make a better marriage, make a better you, we also designed our membership where you can do it on your own. You Mm -hmm. do not have to have your spouse do it with you. In fact, 
50% of our members are learning and growing on their own. So mm-hmm. it, there is hope. That's Amen. awesome. You got to start somewhere, right? Exactly. <laughs> One of the biggest things I see with people nowadays, is they always ask me, how do I make the change? How do I get a better marriage? All that stuff. And I tell them the simple thing that I learned, consistency. Be mm. consistent. Start mm. there. You know, absolutely. Start with yourself. Exactly. Well, once again, guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know that our listeners are going to have tremendous amount of value that come out of this. Um, We thank you and uh, we look forward to talking to you guys again. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Guys, take care.